The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 41, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I'm not talking to you. You put pickles on pizza! It's highly questionable. The one person to question me about this, you, eating your cabbage out of a okay. bowl okay, okay. by itself. Let's, 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 let's draw a very clear distinction like between, like, eating a vegetable that's been around for a bajillion years, like, that, like, people have eaten for centuries, versus being like, you know what would improve this, like, classic Italian dish? Pickles, for no reason. <laughs> you know what, you know what, Ben? I'm going to ask you this. Did you go out of your way to try pizza with pickles on it, or did it just, like, happen to you? Like, was it just, like, somebody nearby had a slice of pizza with pickles, and they're like, hey, try this? I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, that actually looks pretty good, because I'm a big fan of pickles, and pizza's a high-floor food. So that's how that happened. Ben, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't th- – actually, actually we're, we're, I'm going to make an accusation pointed directly at you. I don't think you've ever had it because you're afraid to be great and you are judging me based on nothing. You don't have the all 22 on the pickle pizza and you're making judgment. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is what I do. I just judge things like, you know, rotely, like off of the cuff. I – to me – I don't know, like, I like I, that thing is, like, I would try it if it was around. Like, I beg I would try this. To me, it seems quite, quite uh, disgusting, obviously. Um, but I would, I would try. Like, you know, I have no, um, no qualms about that. It's simply, I don't, I did, I, like, to, to call, say that it is good seems very, it's shocking to me. Fire. I said that it was fire, and I stand by that take. I don't think it's a hot take. Wow, you must be one of those cool young kids. <laughs> 
So, Ben, today, what are we doing today? We're doing some coaches film review today of this horrible Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles game. Uh, obviously, some house cleaning to do first with some roster moves. But uh, I wanted your opinion. I struggled to continue to watch this game in any sort of like set block of time. I was in and out. For me, it was a, it was a bad experience, but we, I, I got through it. How about you? There were there were just generally, in my opinion, so many plays that were just like somebody who was directly involved with the play executed the play poorly. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was just there was a great deal of just poor execution stem to stern. I personally think that Doug Peterson had an absolutely fine day play designing and, and play calling. And I think Jim Schwartz had a super fine day play designing and play calling, to be very frank with you. Yeah, and that's that's not a that's not a typical take that we have on this year <laughs> podcast. They came out and they they were prepared after a bye week. It to me it, the team did not seem prepared, yeah. uh, and there were just it was one of Carson's weaker games. Uh, offensive side of the football, pretty much none of the skill position players besides Ertz was giving him much help. Offensive line wise, I thought it was just as shaky as you'd expect with Vitae there on the outside and the things you have to do around that. Yeah. Right. Defensively, I think the linebackers are getting a little bit too much blame. I mean, simply the corner play yeah. on Sunday night was dreadful. Yeah. Just just from and like Douglas had good plays. Darby had good plays. Uh, Maddox had good plays. Ch- Chandon Sullivan was out there, didn't really do anything. But just like there, like at key moments, the corners just made that mistake after mistake after mistake, just in, inability to to do whatever. And and obviously we know Schwartz's scheme is taxing on his corners, but still, like this is just it was it, there was poor execution from pole to pole, and you don't win many games like that. And I agree. And we're gonna dive into all of that first. I will note that the Philadelphia Eagles have designated tight end Richard Rogers, good old Dick Rod, to return from injured reserve. <laughs> And they've also swapped practice squad tight ends. So Billy Brown is out. He had a big hive in the preseason. And Will Ty is in a little more experience, I guess, uh, right there going with Will Ty, who has has one of the weirdest, like, have you seen his workout numbers, Will Ty? No, I have not. Is he on mock draftable? His pro, yeah, I think he should be. If not, check uh, NFL Draft Scout because his pro day workout makes zero sense to me and I, I remember this from a couple of years ago I haven't seen them recently so I want to see what what you pull up there because I remember them being like gross like he ran like a they say he ran like a 4-4 and you watch him play and he runs like a he runs like a 4-8 is what it looks like so very interesting swap there 257 ran a 4-5-7 according to oh, Anvil s- Draft Scout I swear he ran faster than that there we go I got the story he, he ran a 4-4-7 uh, four four seven forty yard dash at his pro day. That's what they say in St- at Stony Brook. I think they're cooking the books there. Yeah, listed pro day results on draftscout.com is four five seven. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So yeah, I'm seeing it on multiple websites here. Path pulpit time is clocked is running as low as four four seven on a forty yard dash at the school's pro day. So people are people are cooking the books there at Stony Brooks. Anyway, so that's a, a big move. A hundred dollars right now if you can name the Stony Brook mascot. Is it a big rock? No. I, I appreciate the effort. <laughs> is it, it's, it's, it's a uh, it's a river. It's a creek. It's a Stony Brook. How do you flush? How do you how do you make that? What, like, what does that look like? Stony Brook mascot. I'm being sarcastic. They're not actually that. They are <laughs> uh, the Sea Wolves. Look, man. They're the Sea Wolves. Is what they are. Yeah. Oh, I see the wolf now. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. All right. I was like, how how do you? Yeah, no. 
make a river. They're not like the uh, the fighting okras. Okay, this is a legit mascot. (laughs) I mean, Stanford's is a tree, so anything's possible, right? All right. Well, that was a ridiculous opening to the show, and we are going to make a hard transition into the coaches as per usual for the. 27 to 20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys. We've seen the tape. We have thoughts. Uh, ben, I want to start with some, we'll start with some surface level stuff as far as stats go. And you see the Eagles going four for 10 on third down, zero for two on fourth down. That's four for 12 on money downs, 33%. That's just not going to get it done. And it's really, I like this team for all of its failings, just uncharacteristic of them to convert at that poor of a rate. And you, you kind of go down the line of the, of the failed ones starting the game with the bubble screen to Tate. That gets stopped short. The next one is at the sticks to Alshon. There was real sticky coverage by Chidobia Wuzie on that curl there that got uh, broken up. Alshon could not get any separation on that one. Uh, the next one just beyond the sticks to Tate on a little pivot route, which was fantastic coverage by safety Xavier Woods. And then on fourth down, Josh Adams is gut stuffed by Jalen Smith. And Jalen just made a real heck of a play on that, that one. Was, that was, uh, like, I did not like the play call at the time, but, man, that was an awesome play by Jalen Smith. Absolutely, yeah. And I thought the motion brought Jalen into the hole. And, the, yeah, he just he just, he just came in and made a better play than we did. And that's kind of, like, the probably going to be the theme of what we're talking about. Uh, the next play, third and ten, short of the sticks, incomplete to Ertz with Jeff Heath right there anyway. And there was great coverage across the board on that one. And part of why that one fails is you get – Three meaningful routes downfield with two of them paired, and Ertz has to stay in and block Demarcus Lawrence for two seconds, two full seconds to help Big V. And I've said this several times before about what it does to an offense when you have to leave and help like that. You don't get those three route combinations if you have to help your tackle like that. And it doesn't go in the books as a pressure allowed by Big V, but... It doesn't matter. The defense effectively eliminates Ertz from being down that downfield threat and working within those three route combinations throughout the throughout the field just because of the threat of Lawrence working against B, Big V. And then uh, next failed third and seven from the Dallas eight yard line boundary side. They run that spot copper combination that I love where you get that horizontal and vertical stretch with Goddard working the corner post. And the Cowboys were just ready for it. They end up throwing a quick post to Alshon on the other side. Alshon goes to sit it down in front of the safety. Wentz pumps it once and then throws it out front. A little bit of a miscommunication there. Xavier Woods is right there. Uh, Ben, the Eagles didn't convert a money down until 532 in the third quarter. Let's call it what it is. I mean, they they were outcoached for the most part, I thought anyway. Oh, really? No, I, I thought Dallas had a great game plan uncharacteristically of them i'm not saying i'm not crapping on the eagles game plan necessarily but the cowboys were really prepared for this game to take advantage of things on offense and defense that's that's kind of what i'm saying i yeah i would not dispute the argument that garrett and linehan specifically coached for their lives you're not gonna you're not gonna hear any argument from me they absolutely pulled out the stop maybe the way i said it was more of a the way it sounded was more pejorative than it towards the eagles coaching staff than it really was because i thought that like i said yeah cowboys did a bang up job right now i thought i thought there was one of the better coached game for the cowboys in the year but to me the the improvement was they were more willing to do some 21st century stuff in terms of like 
opening script, which is a big thing that's getting a narrative right now in Philadelphia, or in terms of, uh, like, you know, kind of concepts building off of each other and the cohesion of your offense. I didn't see very many improvements. Still asking Dak to make isolation throws that he has not shown he's able to make. I still thought there was no uh, cohesiveness in the running game. I still thought they have the same issues. I do not think, uh, I think, I think Peterson outcoached Garrett and I think Schwartz outcoached, uh, what's his name? Chris Richard and, uh, Chudwinski, what's their Marinelli? Marinelli. Yeah, I I would say more on the defensive side that the execution was definitely lacking, especially from the secondary, and that led it wasn't so much on Schwartz as people are making it out to be. But we're going to get into that for sure. Yeah, as we talked about in the pre-show, simply I thought that especially when Darby was healthy, Schwartz came out with a very nice mix of trap coverages and pattern match ideas and man coverage. The variety that I've wanted to see from him, he came out with. And it was successful. And it was successful on the chalkboard until it came for time to somebody to execute. Mm -hmm. And simply, you know, they weren't able to pull it through. One huge drive stands out for me. And it was, I believe, the Cowboys' second drive. Okay, Let me check that. No, it was their third drive. And so it's it was the one it started on the eight. Uh, you had the um, you had that incredible Dallas Goddard special teams tackle while he was getting blocked in the back. So the drive starts at the eight. The first play, Eagles zone uh, adjusts very nicely, strong side to that little isolation route to Amari Cooper. Camus. Cooper's up against Darby, right? And Camus Grugier Hill reads. Camus got Beautiful. flat, full flat responsibility because Jordan Hicks is helping him out right. for, uh, from the hook curl. Yep. And so Camus can jump this route, does jump this route with great timing. Fails to pick the ball off. All of a sudden, it's second and 10. And then we've got uh, a situation where Schwartz is in pure cover one man, and his linebackers do. They don't bite on the play action. Bradham reads the screen. Uh, he's got great width on the climbing offensive lineman, and he goes to hit. He hits Elliott three yards behind the line of scrimmage, and Elliott gains four yards. Yeah. So seven yards, Elliott carries Bradham. But Bradham's not able to, to finish that tackle. And this is a great example, Mike, of... Well, there was a third and two that a lot of Eagles fans might remember where Corey Clement gets tackled by Leighton Van Rush in the backfield. You know, we talk about the extent to which running backs affect the game and how you can just switch them in. Well, sometimes it'd be nice to have an Ezekiel Elliott caliber player yeah. to break a head-on tackle and to pick up some positive yardage. So all of a sudden now it's third and six. The On the chalkboard, the Eagles are winning handily, but they've given up two plays, given up some yards they shouldn't have had to. And then on that third and six play, uh, Philadelphia's got themselves, I think, in a, a good situation. I believe they're pattern matching on this look, and they are. And Dak's able to uh, hit Amari Cooper coming on the shallow crosser. Ronald Darby does not have deep responsibility. He has short responsibility. Yep. He is in a perfect place to trap this coverage, to deliver a strike on Amari Cooper, and he doesn't make the tackle. And Cooper picks up a first down. Now, this drive ends up in a punt. I don't dispute that. But that, that three-play sequence stood out to me yeah. where there is no reason with those three plays. You should have firstly had first and 10 for Philadelphia with two yards to go, if not a pick six. Uh, then you should have had a second and 10 becomes third and 15 if Bradham makes a tackle that he's, he had dead to rights. And then a third and six should become fourth and two if Ronald Darby makes a tackle that's very easy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Cowboys have first and 10, right? And And... You know, uh, a big narrative is Philadelphia's offense is not getting helped out with field position, right? They're, they're, they have to go long distances when they drive. It's one of the stats that's being used to support the idea. It's all the defense's fault. And it's not the offense's fault at all. <laughs> this is a good example of where 
Philadelphia could have flipped the field very nicely here. Could have gotten the ball back at the 35, the 40, depending on how deep that kick was going. Or had a pick six. Or, yes, could have. Either one. Or, yes, I don't dispute. <laughs> right. Think about, think about, at this point in the game, it is three to nothing. You had three plays where you could have had more. That's the overall point. But, yeah. like, so at this point, it's three to nothing. You're already down in the turnover battle by one because Carson Wentz pick has already Correct. occurred and the Cowboys only flipped three on that pick so you could have gone pick hold for a field goal and then come back on the next offensive possession get a pick six be up seven to three how much momentum would yeah. your defense have at home how you'd, you'd be playing now with a lead which Philadelphia did not do for the entirety of the game like that pick six could have changed the 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 uh, the figure of the entire match and it doesn't happen and we know what happens you know what I mean so like those are situations where I feel like like that that drive really illustrates an example where I think Schwartz had excellent play calls for the the Cowboys being backed up and and for understanding their tendencies for getting his players in good positions and they didn't execute and for, and, and the Cowboys are able to drive that ball all the way down to uh they were able to drive it let's, about to midfield I believe it is talk before about they kick this it because yeah it, it, we yeah. we need to talk about this too because the phrase picket fence is coming up and this is one of the plays where where this happens where third and 15 from the Dallas 26 the Eagles have on that picket fence defense and in the press conference Jim Schwartz said we've run this play all year we haven't given up a first down and a lot of people called out called them out for like the Titans fourth and 15 that was not picket fence and that was also Corey Graham blowing a coverage that wasn't the play call that was the execution mm-hmm. on th- I have umbrage to take with Schwartz on the idea that that's not picket fence though my taking umbrage with defensive play calls has not gone well for me in terms of recent days so I should be careful <laughs> Here's my thing. It's that, yes, that is that fourth that fourth and fifteen looked very much like the alignment of the picket fence that we're talking about. I could see why people could get that confused for sure. Uh, either way, the depth is what people are talking about with the prevent. So whether the call is picket fence or whatever he wants to call it or not, I would agree. However, I also say that is on execution, not on play call, because Corey Graham busted that covered. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, and 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 the picket fence you're talking about here is a third and 15 play that becomes fourth and one. Cowboys were willing to go for it, but had a false start. Right. Listen, you may not like the picket fence. Philadelphia had an ability to contact Elliott and make a tackle and make a fourth and seven. That's where the first eagle had a line on Elliott. He picks up six yards. Number one, he's a good player. He does that. Number two... You know, obviously they rallied or whatever, but a, another guy beats a black. Somebody's able to get a bigger chunk of Elliott, and it's fourth and five. But we're not even talking about this. Pause it when he's at the thirty-five. He's got one, two, three, four, five Eagles right around him with another six behind that. Like that, like they were there, and they've run this a lot. And, and I actually tweeted this out too because on these earlier in the year, Sidney Jones, and this is where I really missed him. He's been playing really aggressive. He was typically the first one getting in on those types of defenses. He would fire his gun and that's gone. a good point. So. That's a very good point. My 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 quick fourth and fifteen complaint is while yes that isn't picket fence you are playing cover two, right. which is what it looked like at the, at the snap. When you're lined up fifteen yards deep and you're playing cover two, you're not getting connected to receivers as they come through your routes. You're not experiencing the the flow of the offense the way you typically do when you're in cover two. And so yes, you're you're playing cover two. You're not just playing pure this picket fence man idea, this picket fence zone, whatever it is. But 
you're not in the same paradigm. You're not in the same mental processing state as you typically are when you play cover two, right? You're, you're seeing things from a totally different perspective. Your flat defender is 10, 15 yards further back than he usually is. It's weird for him. Yeah. So you're still playing it. Like that's still a sticks defense. I don't care if you don't call it exactly the same thing as the other one. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's very clearly a sticks defense. Yeah. Exactly. So don't like, don't like feel like, well, it's technically not. Okay. Well, it falls under the same freaking umbrella. That's what, that's exactly what I said, Ben. Well, yeah, but like that just, that was a quote that Schwartz said that bothered me and yeah. I wanted to air my grievance. Yeah. And like I said, I, I completely find that reasonable. I mean, the other 30 and 15 was a screen. They weren't playing picket fence. They had six guys in the box. So there's that. And, and then they, I think they had one or two others. One went for a loss. One went for like one yard. People are saying it fails every time. That's not true. Jim Schwartz is saying that he wasn't running it on certain things. I mean, it's basically the same. So. I'll call him a liar on that too. So I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with that. It's it's a hot button thing right now because of the press conference and and whatnot. So I, I'll I guess I'm playing the middle ground there. All right, what else do we have here? So Ben, I was looking at the Colts offense and Frank Reich, and there's a lot of discussion around if this offense would have been better with Frank yes, Reich good, instead good. of Mike Rowe, and people are blaming Josh Daniels because. You know, he turned down the job, which eventually led to Reich leaving. For instance, I turned on the tape of that, and I've only seen a little bit, so I want to qualify that. But uh, the Colts had third and six as their first third down conversion against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they threw pretty much the exact same wide receiver screen that we threw to Golden Tate. They just executed. Uh, they got down to the goal line. They had third and two, uh, third and goal from the two yard line. We had second and two. They ran a jet sweep to Eric Ebron. We ran a jet motion with a touch pass to Nelson Aguilar. Aguilar got stuffed. Ebron didn't get stuffed. Obviously, there's more to it, uh, and that's something that I want to look at. I know it's something that you wanted to look at too. But offensively, mm-hmm. from a play calling perspective, I put on the execution, man. Like you, you watch this, and dudes at like at times for the most part just weren't getting open. And that goes for Alshon, Nelly, that goes for Tate. It was a failure, and the blame rests really on everybody's shoulders. And I know that's not what people people want to hear. People want to have me yell and scream about Mike Rowe and the microwave offense and everything like that. I don't think it's that. I think it's what me and Ben are saying is the guys aren't winning the individual matchups. How, as a play caller, is that your fault when they are not winning their individual matchups? Obviously, your job is to put them in Mm -hmm. a position to win. And that's a conversation that we can have. But to totally uh, absolve the offensive skill players for having a bad game, which they did, uh, I don't think is right or fair to Mike Rowe. And, you know, obviously we'll we'll get into it and we'll reassess how we feel about Mike Rowe as we go through this process. But right now I'm not ready to declare him dead. Ben? Yeah, so I think that that's a huge point because my primary like I guess counterpoint to that is okay watching the game we said man like this just feels like the play calling is very stale uh the play calling isn't super imaginative Philadelphia's not getting explosive plays there's so much stuff behind the line of scrimmage there's so much quick throw stuff which I get it big V is in you know you're kind of worried about the protection okay you know, this play calling doesn't feel great. And then you go and you watch the tape and you say, wow, well, there were really opportunities for players to just extend drives and, and you know, third down conversions where, you know, there were a lot of good balls out there from Carson Wentz or opportunities for Yak that just didn't happen. And Carson missed a few throws and offensive line missed a few blocks. And this is just like, you know, everybody's just kind of like messing things up. You know, if it's never hard to find execution issues when you're going through the All-22 with a fine-tooth comb. And it's never hard to have play calling 
complaints when you're watching a third and five and you have six different ideas as to what should happen and none of them happen you know what i mean so it's tough to suss out where the truth is always somewhere in the middle to what degree i will say this and this is like an idea that i've been i've been like mulling over for a couple weeks now this offense feels like the offense you'd build when you were protecting a young quarterback right like when you're developing him yeah like when he's in his first year can i can i ask you for a clarification on that before you before you continue are you saying that from this Cowboys game because some of it may have had to do with how much aid that we we gave Vitae? Or are you saying from a season-long thing? Because you said you've been working on it for a little bit. So I would agree with you, especially in this game. But I feel like some of that has to do with Big V. Yeah, it definitely became stronger in this game, in the Cowboys game. There's no doubt. And, and, and what it generally stems from is this fact that I feel like in a lot of key down-and-distance situations— Carson Wentz is not given the opportunity to read a full field, to make a decision, to extend plays with his legs, you know, to be a franchise quarterback yeah. and take control of an offense and take control of a game, right? And if there's a weakness with Doug Peterson that's existed before this season is that Doug likes to smell himself a little bit. You know, kind of we say Doug is a very, very proud dude, Right. And a thing that, you know, it, it can be tough, I think, for maybe a proud offensive play caller and a guy who thinks he has tendencies understood and a guy who really believes in his scheme and his situational play calling a down and distance. You know, if if it's a key third and two, which I know we keep coming back to this Corey Clement screen, but if it's a key third and two. Yeah. Trust your quarterback to make a play. Yeah, you are you are not giving your quarterback a chance unless Carson has an audible at the snap, which even if he did have an audible at the line, there's no reason to call it because as we see on the tape, Philadelphia had two offensive linemen out against one backer. They had it numbers-wise on the right. chalkboard. But you're, you, you have, a, in my opinion, a very strong quarterback, a good player. Uh, a player who can create a lot with his legs, a player who can fit the ball into impossibly tight windows, a player who just last year was was shattering expectations from a third down conversion perspective. And you you do not give him the opportunity to read. And that's where I say this feels like uh, an offense that you would use to protect a young quarterback with the amount of, you know, so so like three third downs stick out to me. And you could even go with a fourth down as well. The first one, the Golden Tate, third and nine, it's a wide receiver screen. There's no choice there. Uh, this next one, Alshon Jeffrey, third and five. Once you see man coverage, you're throwing the man isolation route. You know, you have to read it pre-snap, but it's going to Alshon the whole way. There's the third and two to Corey Clement, the screen. The fourth and one to Josh Adams. You're taking the ball out of your quarterback's hand on a, on a fourth and one. You're giving it to your undrafted free agent running back, who's, yeah, been running hard, but still. This is a fourth and one. You know what I mean? Like you and you've got a a six five quarterback who's never missed a quarterback sneak in his entire life. And and here and here's my thing, real quick. Is it time to take off the training wheels and let him throw downfield on a third and two when you know you're going to go for it on fourth down anyway? Are they narrowing his focus so much that they're not letting him be him? And they're saying here, Carson, we're going to present this for you. This is what it's going to look like. This is what I want you to do instead of giving him a larger plate to choose from. Right. So like, is it time to take the training wheels off? My experience of it is training wheels came off in 2017. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. Carson was. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And now my my experience of it is, like, you know, if I'm reading into the emotions of the characters, <laughs> Doug is taking so much of the onus of these struggles onto himself. Right. That he doesn't want to expose Carson to like situations where he can lose. Like we go back to Carson's 
you know, a game-winning drive, fourth-quarter comeback stats, but it's something we've been talking about in this podcast. He does not have a lot of those, and and his passer rating in those situations is quite low. And you wonder what it is that leads to that, and kind of, you know, what's the chicken and what's the egg here? Is it that Doug and and the other offensive minds in the building experience Carson as being a guy who pushes when he's down in tight situations, so they kind of want to take the 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 ball and the choice out of his hands because they don't trust him as much yet because he's still developing in that regard because he pushes or rather is it that Carson when he has the ball in his hand in those clutch situations knows that he doesn't always get the opportunity to make choices and to make plays so he tries to push too hard and 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 create stuff that the offense isn't really giving to him you know like there's there's a a very circular relationship between those two and we're we're at this point now delving into the depths of conjecture and guesswork right. that we don't really have a, a founded interest in but just generally speaking one of the strengths of Doug Peterson's defense offense is that it can simplify the reads for the quarterback and it can beat you pre-snap and one of the weaknesses of Doug Peterson's defense offense is that it can simplify the offense and and decide the reads for you pre-snap you know like there that is a very double-edged sword because on clutch downs when you have Alshon Golden Tate, Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, and Carson Wentz, you want to be able to say, Carson, drop back, take three seconds, deliver the ball where you think it goes best. You know, if you don't like your read, break the pocket, roll out, go make a, you know, go dive for a first down. Like, obviously, we get nervous when Carson does that, but also, it's his character, it's his ability. And so, uh, uh, something that I think you've seen as the Eagles offense has struggled this year is that it has devolved a little bit more and more to be reliant on these plays on these processes that I would categorize as outside of of, of the decision making of the quarterback that I would categorize as as me- like plug and play mechanical plays where you could put in a replacement quarterback you could put in a Baker Mayfield or a Josh Rosen and it'd be like all right you're a rookie like it's a key third down like just throw this screen let Corey go get it yeah. you know what I mean like it's a uh, that's and obviously again like I'm harping on one third and two plays. The example keeps coming to mind because I really didn't like the call. Um, but this is not a, an isolated idea. I think this is something that you you've seen now in Philadelphia's game planning for the past few weeks. So I think I know what you're saying, Ben. Yeah, I know you're about to make some ridiculous joke. I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> Doug Peterson needs to stop ordering the pizza for Carson, and if Carson orders a pizza with pickles on it, you just gotta I'm see what that up. tastes like. You just got to see what that tastes like. I am pressing the red button on the Skype. I got the message, man. I can read between the lines with you. Your subtle messaging. I trust me. I get it. Not so subtle messaging is calling out players for their effort on the Twitter timeline. And that's some of what I was exposed to today, at least something that I saw and I think is ridiculous. I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it. I'm not upset with anybody, but... Oh, I thought you were referring to me. I was like, did I do that? No, I didn't. We're good. No, no, because it was it was ridiculous. And it actually comes back to the screenplay, too, where they were like, I, I don't know if, you know, Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks, maybe this is the effort thing that Doug was talking about. <laughs> like When I saw that, whew! That's a spicy take. Number one, to call out a professional for their effort when it's Jason freaking Kelsey, who I've never seen give anything less than a thousand percent every play, no matter if he's playing good or if he's playing bad. Uh, And I don't know what kind of effort gets him to that spot because LVE, Leighton Vander Esch, read it and got there before him. What helped the Cowboys offense out in that situation or the Cowboys defense out in that situation was the fact that they were running a stunt and Malik Collins running that stunt towards the right side of the formation 
got himself in a position because he's running the stunt. He's yep. not engaged with somebody. He can go fill that backside lane. That cuts that off from Corey Clement. Otherwise, otherwise they seal off LVE and no one says boo about anything. Here's here's what you want to know. What just absolutely kills me about that take. Yeah, it is a at this time it is a seven point game. There are two minutes left, and Philadelphia has just driven for back to back touchdown drives. Right. No effort though. Yeah, like that but like like <laughs> so they they just hung 14 on the last two drives. Right. This is a must-win game in the division for the Super Bowl champions. They're within 7 with 2 minutes left and all three timeouts. It's third and 2. Who would ever take that playoff besides Doriel Green Beckham? Right. Their their checks cashed on the sideline. They saw it hit their bank account on the sideline after those two scores. Like, That's what happened. Sure. Is that is that <laughs> is that the point? At which a player is like, man, like this game's out of reach. Like, man, we've just scored on back-to-back drives. It's a one-possession game, and we have the ball in enemy territory in the fourth quarter. Dog, like, I'm telling you, we clearly you, man, can't win. Losing, winning cures everything. Losing makes everything stupid. That's that's what I've come to realize. That's a fantastic point. I want to talk about that point. Yeah. So Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have won five Super Bowls, right? And that's insane. And Never heard of them. And obviously that's in, that's obviously insane because that level of sustained success is almost unprecedented in the NFL. Yeah. The reason it's it, – it, and the reason it's unprecedented is because you just anecdotally and, 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 and obviously the Belichick-Brady thing flies in the face of this, but you need luck to win a Super Bowl. Like there are more than one good team in the NFL. Like you need – the ball to bounce your way. Like you need some like lucky breaks to happen. Ask the 2017, 2018 Philadelphia Eagles and Keanu Neal's left knee. If you don't believe me, right? Like you just need some things to go crazily your way. You need to be hot at the right time. We talk about this all the time. It, it is, it is amazing to me how positive many people are that that season was a fluke and that this is more reflective of the Eagles talent level in spite of that luck thing you know what I mean like you have to be lucky to win a Super Bowl absolutely but to assume that it is non-indicative of the talent level of this team and really like you know like I wrote a piece where I was like all right the 2019 draft is very important because Philadelphia needs to cycle in some youth at these positions that have really been struggling I thought that was a pretty measured take a take that I've seen is like oh Philadelphia's offense or Philadelphia's team is not built for long-term success which boggles my mind. And, and and that level of short-sightedness is just shocking. Like, we have to accept the reality that there is a range of player performance. Like, you know, how good is Ronald Darby? Well, he's somewhere between here and here, right? Like, we don't know exactly how good he is. On any given day, he's performing somewhere in this range. You know, like, that's that's the reality of, like, being a human. Like, you're not a robot. You don't perform the exact same degree every single time. 2017 saw the 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 ideal alignment of of performances at the right times so the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. And if you were to run the 2017 season through a simulator 100 times, the Eagles wouldn't win the Super Bowl 100 times. And if you were to run the 2018 season through a simulator 100 times, the Eagles would probably win the Super Bowl in one or two cuz they're a very talented team. Yeah. Like, like, the, like there has to be a, a an acceptance that we can't just evaluate the reality of like a team or a player or our coaching staff or a front office based off the last three games. Yeah, there's got to be more than that. This is my measured take that will fall on deaf ears. Thank you for listening. <laughs>
I like it, Ben. No, no, it makes a lot of sense to me, and I like uh, I like that we're not so far extreme with everything and let letting losing color everything that we do and we take our time to look at things and, and process them and try to look at them rationally not saying that other people are irrational but there certainly are rational takes out there ben anything oh ben something that i wanted you to talk about and i want to talk about something first there was a play that i okay. sent you in the slack channel and what was that shoot second quarter pull it all out. right i'm about to watch it for the like third time remembering that you sent this to me because i remembered that you sent this to me yeah second we'll and nine it. for those following at home second and nine at the philadelphia 18 dallas has the ball there's 40 seconds left in the half so dallas has alan hearns on the bottom of the screen and a nasty split they've got ezekiel elliott lined up to the right of uh, already know the play actually i i literally i put this play up on twitter with notes on it, oh. forgetting that you had told me to watch it. <laughs> but the reason you told me to watch it is the reason I noted it. So this is amazing. We're very smart. This is awesome. So, yeah, you, you've got the Eagles in what to me looks like a cover three cloud. Ben, can you confirm that Confirm that coverage? <laughs> With Darby playing the jam. Yeah. So cover three cloud. Darby's got shallow. Corey Graham has deep third over top of him. He's working just outside of the hash. Alan Hearns is going to come at him on a corner flag route, whatever you want to call it, deep out one of those. And he's working from a nasty split. So just inside the numbers, he runs his post. What they do is they release Ezekiel Elliott into the flats. That holds Darby just enough. So Alan Hearns is able, when he runs that corner out, to get away from the linebackers in the hook, hook zone. And Corey Graham is unable to close down on it. And it goes right in that honey hole, right in the turkey hole in between Darby who is now bolting back, and Graham. Here's the problem. The Saints are going to run this, and they're going to run that same route that Hearns runs into the same area of the field, but they're not going to let them off the hook with Ezekiel Elliott as a decoy. They're going to give you Alvin Kamara, and what Alvin Kamara is going to do is he's going to release a vertical when he gets outside of the tackles. He's not going to release into the flat. He's going to get mm -hmm. exactly in line with his receiver in front of him. What that can do is that can create a rub if you're in man coverage, so it can kind of disrupt you there and throw you off the corner route. Uh, it can also have the guy late to Camaro, which is what happened against the Minnesota Vikings when they ran it for a 16-yard touchdown. So he's going to come vertical, and then Camara is going to get square with the defender, and he's got an option. He can go inside, outside. And Camara went outside on that one. It burned number two. No, I'm sorry. It was against the Rams. My fault, guys. It was against the Rams. It was against LaMarcus Joyner, number 20. And that's what they're going to do. So they're going to be presented with this play that beat them against the Dallas Cowboys in the red zone. And they're going to get an extra threat from Alvin Kamara, that's what worries me. Corey Graham is slow. That's my only note. Ben, on this on this cover three cloud, do you think because I'm I'm Eagles not, ran cover three cloud a fair bit by the way. They did. In fact, they ran it on the the first drive that that you were talking about with the, with the pattern matching. But so on, on this one, that was I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the uh, the Darby hit that should have been a tackle that should have stopped that drive was cover three cloud. Correct. Yeah, that's the one I'm referring to. Yeah, it was. Uh, just just a question for you because I, I don't I don't think he needs to here. But in cover three cloud with that with that jam defender in the flat there with Darby, because it's a uh -huh. nasty split, he he doesn't really have to jam right because he's protecting against an outside release and he wants to reroute inside. But the release is already inside. Would you like to see him jam there 
Because I think that's something that we're not getting on a consistent basis is guys being rerouted, running free into zones. And that's more of a larger thought. But in this case, I wanted to hear your thoughts because I wasn't sure. And I also didn't want to blame him either in the article. I was like, look, I don't know if it's this, but none of what, you know, this defense is really intended to do really happened on this play other than just being exploited in its weak spot. I would be shocked if he was coached to jam it because you've not really seen them jam anything right and so that's, that's kind of what i was that's thinking. not what i feel yeah yeah okay. right you 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 rarely see like the only times i can remember philadelphia throwing jams is in this game when rasul douglas up at line of scrimmage right. which makes sense because that's kind of what Sewell needs to be successful rasul douglas toasted by amari cooper at will by the way yeah i thought on the broadcast film it was a little better than it seemed and then on the all 22 it wasn't yeah but here's here so this is interesting to me because obviously having darby there in the flat aligned to the uh the weak side with the halfback on that side helps defend against the running back releasing to the flat which is something that philadelphia has been struggling with i will say mike so this is a a late second quarter play in the red zone if you were to go to quarter one uh, 11 15 Mm. and go to that third down where Dak was super late getting to Michael Gallup mm. on the throw. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was the one that Chris Collinsworth highlighted because yes. Dak took like four shuffle steps into it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're going to see that Philadelphia is in a cover three cloud style of look. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing to the bunch side, um, but to that weak side again, uh, you've got flat seven. This the is, same this way is the one I was, receiver. Yeah, this is the one I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah, definitely flat seven, yeah. The back is releasing out of the backfield into the flat area. It pulls Rasul Douglas down into the flat. Corey Graham is responsible for the seven route. On both this play and the Alan Hearns play you mentioned in the red zone, Mike, Corey Graham is clearly too deep. Uh, He is too deep to break on any routes that are going to break in front of him. It's because he's afraid of getting beaten deep because he is slow. And if you look at... He's at the he's at the thirty five. The receiver is breaking at the twenty five. Mike, I posted I posted screenshots. They had (laughs) Schwartz had his Schwartz had Corey Graham and Trey Sullivan aligning about twenty yards deep as single high safeties. Yeah, it looked like Greg Williams defense in Cleveland, which is not good news. If you look at that red zone play, Mike, he is about. Four, three to four yards in the end zone with a receiver that's like 10 yards in front of him. We often talk about the end zone because it ends at a certain point and you don't necessarily have to defend it that deep. Right. <laughs> my, 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 my favorite like half joke, half real analysis <laughs> is like the thing about the end zone is that there's an end to it. The end line is there. And so there's no reason to be that deep into the end zone, Mike. Yeah. Because if they're coming for that area, that ball would have to be perfectly placed deep and you already have leverage. So get out of the end zone. Come up. Get upfield, right? And so, yes, uh, Corey Graham remains bad. Analysis, uh, development, shocking, breaking news. Roto World, Solak claims Corey Graham is still bad. And you can see it very clearly on these two plays. But it's, hey, like we said, Linehan kind of coached for his life here. They had an opportunity to hit that flat seven. Didn't hit it on the first time. Came back to the came back to the well. Yeah, and got on a key uh, key red zone play. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I mean. That was, that was smart on their on their part, uh, knowing that you can attack Corey Graham that way at all times. Uh, ben, before we go, I'm going to give you a quick minute here to give the elevator pitch on this article that you had up on Bleeding Green Nation because I really enjoyed it, and I think it had something to do with with Corey Graham on one of them. The Eagles have failed on a similar concept in the what was that 
for? No, I, it was it was sucking my teeth because yeah, this sucks. This is really bad. Ah, so this sucks. Go read it. Uh, the Eagles have failed on a similar concept uh, in the Dallas game, the Titans game, the Panthers game, and against the Jaguars. Uh, since I liked it so much, you should tell the gentle listeners about it. The floor is yours, my friend. You have one minute, 60 seconds. Okay, but you have to do the same thing for your article afterward. Deal? I already kind of did some of it. But yeah, go ahead. I'll pitch it. Go ahead. You're first. Right. So if you actually, I discovered this in the Cowboys game prepping for the show. If you go to 754 in the first quarter, first and 10, uh, Dak had a touchdown to Ezekiel Elliott in the flat route, and he just missed the throw completely. And then what you're seeing is, again, those two receivers backside, running back going into the flat, and then you're going to look like a little pick route, little curl route, curl flat combo, generating some friction there as the linebacker tries to man cover the halfback out of uh, out of the backfield. You're seeing on third and short, slash fourth and short and in red zone situations Philadelphia is regularly giving man coverage with their linebackers tagged on the running back which is not like crazy like that's a very common thing um but teams are responding to it by running rub concepts leak routes and flat routes from their halfbacks uh and the Philadelphia linebackers have been unable to get through the traffic and get connected to those routes. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott touchdown in the fourth quarter, it seemed as if Jordan Hicks had one sniffed out finally. Mm. And on his way to get uh, connected to Elliott, ran into Corey Graham because yeah. Corey Graham was not moving <laughs> at all. Um, and then what Hicks does, which is very interesting, is he he gestures and it looks like he's trying to pass off Corey Graham and say, Corey Graham, you take Elliott, I'm going to go take Dak on this rollout. And, and again, on this play, it looks as if Bradham expects Rasul Douglas to go and take uh, Elliot, which is why I decided to write about this. It seems to me, conjecture, because they didn't pull it off, but it seems to me Philadelphia is trying to adjust those halfback flat routes by potentially pushing and, and passing that route off to a corner who now becomes the flat defender when they're in zone, uh, if they can do that. Now, they've been in man coverage in these situations, and, and, and trying to execute that pass off on the fly is is mighty difficult. Uh, and you, they weren't able to do it successfully on these two plays that I've found here on the offensive side of the ball. So, <gasps> Eagles defense got a lot of problems. Uh, and another one is that they can't, the, the teams are continuing to run the same basic route idea against them, and they have not yet been able to figure out a solution. And honestly, it, it, I, I think it's more of an execution thing than it is a scheme thing, to be frank. No. Uh, but anyway, your turn. Also agree. Yeah, so go check that out on bleedinggreetnation.com. Also today or yesterday, really, since this is dropping on uh, Wednesday, I put up a piece the title is Saints Red Zone Concepts Present Huge Test for Eagles Defense. And what I kind of went through is I watched every red zone snap for the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to dig into this in detail as we preview the game. But there are some things that I noticed. For instance, uh, Taysom Hill, their backup quarterback, the packages that they use him in, the fact that the, he could also throw the ball. And last week they pulled out a jump pass with him. They'll they'll run it like he's a running back. They'll run you know QB Lee Power, yeah. or, you know. They'll run speed option with them. They'll run the read option with an arc block. They'll run read option with duo and hand it off to Kamara. There's so many different things they do. They had them tight doubles, Ben. They had them tight doubles, and he was blocking like linebackers and safeties at one point. Like They use them in so many different ways. And the thing about that is when you have to be prepared for it, another thing that the New Orleans Saints like to do is they like to quick snap on you. So they'll break the huddle, and you're trying to figure out, okay, where's Taysom? Where's Breeze? Where's Michael Thomas? Where's Alvin Kamara? And they hike the ball. Boom, they're in the end zone. They've done that three times this year. They also do it with motion. They'll make it look like he's about to line up as a running back, and all of a sudden he comes darting across and do a touch pass. It's a touchdown. They're really freaking good in the red zone. They'll do intersecting switch releases in the red zone. They'll play with your banjo coverages. They'll do all types of stuff. So go check out this article. Get familiar with the Saints offense because we're going to be talking about it a lot in the lead-up to this game. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. That's how it's done. Bye.
Thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Michael Kiss on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL. That's K I S T tomorrow. Eagles, or let's do Saints offense because you've already got work on them. So Saints offense, Eagles defense. Uh, Taysom Hill is the worst. He also might be the best. Uh, so get excited <laughs> oh. for that one. This, if if you are running out of gas on the Eagles season, if you are dreading the Eagles potentially going four and six against the Saints. By the way, Mike, biggest line spread in Week Eleven is Saints minus seven and a half against the Eagles. It's the biggest spread of the entire week. It viewed as the biggest. Like the, the the clearest win of all games this the week. The Saints are averaging Saints 42 points a game in the last three games. They've converted 86% of their red zone trips in the last three games. I'm here to tell you, Mike, <laughs> that that is more than 24. 42 is more than 24, which is our big number. Uh, that's a problem. So, if you are running out of steam, if you are worried, listen, the Saints offense is objectively interesting. It's really fun to talk about. It's a well-coordinated offense. So, if you do like the X's and O's that you get on the Kiss and Solak show... Then you should uh, swing by anyway and keep the faith. It'll be a fun time. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, and then, obviously, Eagles offense against the Saints defense. We'll follow that with our final predictions on Friday. Please leave iTunes ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Uh, we are very excited to be building the entire SB Nation family podcast little group soiree team. And so uh, those ratings and those reviews help us out a great deal to get other podcasts up off of the ground as well. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you tomorrow. We all we got. Yes. We all we need. True. Fly, Eagles, fly. Cut, call. Rush! That's a throwback! Throwback! Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly the Deputy Managing Editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL Editorial Manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, Lead Flyers Writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.